Are you looking to become a leader in clean energy and an expert in clean tech? Do you hope to get noticed in the crowd as you pursue a career in this fastly growing industry? You are in the right place. Join Karan Takar as he invites clean energy leaders to share industry developments, highlight clean tech investment opportunities, and shed light on how you can increase your chances of employment in this high-growth sector. We will also discuss the energy transition across key emerging markets like India and explore partnership opportunities for the U.S. private and public sector. After all, this is the Zenergy Podcast. In this episode, we will be speaking to John Belazare, who's the CEO of Saluna, which is a company helping to shape the future of renewable energy development. Saluna is currently the leading developer of green data centers that convert excess renewable energy into global computing resources. Prior to starting Saluna and early in his career, Mr. Belazare was a recipient of the Intel Scholarship Program and after receiving his computer science and engineering degree from Cornell University, went on to become the lead architect for Intel's Digital Enterprise Group. He then subsequently founded a software startup company, which he later sold for $150 million. In this interview, we discuss several topics, including the renewable energy transition and its biggest challenge, the future of the grid, the evolving role of the CEO and entrepreneur, and how blockchain technology can shape the future of energy deployment. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Mr. John Belazare. Thank you so much, Mr. Belazare, for taking the time and have been looking forward to speaking with you. For people listening, I think it would be best to start at the beginning. Can you briefly tell us about your backgrounds and what ultimately led you to starting Saluna Computing? Uh, thanks for having me on the show, uh, Karan. I'm, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. I am not an energy guy, I like to say. I perhaps play one on TV. I've been in the energy business for about four years now. Prior to that, I was a software entrepreneur. And I've started three companies now, if you, if you don't count the little ventures I started in high school. And those companies have all been really right in the nexus of big mega technology trends and enterprise pain points. So my first company that I started after spending a couple of years at Intel Corporation starting my career, I was an Intel scholar and uh, focused on the software team there to build out the whole new chip platform and chipsets for Intel that got them into the networking business. So network systems, internet facilities, that sort of thing. And prior to that, I, I was on a software team that built uh, software that drove uh, demand for chips at the company. And one of my proud projects there was the reservation protocol, uh, which focuses on reserving bandwidth on the internet, which sounds kind of funny right now, but very much Im important at the time when people didn't have broadband coming into their homes, you needed to make sure that certain real-time 
video and audio traffic made its way through the internet, past all the email, and got to the other side with a high degree of quality. And so I worked on that, and it became part of the uh, the Windows operating system and part of a lot of different network systems, if you will, because we license it to other folks. I left Intel and moved to Boston to join my former grad school colleagues. And we started our first company, a company called Theory Center that was focused on the e-commerce space. This was just as the internet and the web was taking off. Everyone was looking to move their back office or core systems, if you will, to the web so that they can do commerce and interface with this burgeoning new space. And we built a set of software components that you could glue together like Lego blocks that can deliver solutions very quickly to the web. And that company was my first real entrepreneurial experience with outside investors and figuring out how to build teams and culture and stuff like that and and being CEO for the first time. Lots of learning took place in those two or so years that we built the company. We ultimately sold it to a very fast-growing public company in California. So I moved back from Boston to California to join that company. We sold the business. It was doing about $15 in revenue, 45 employees, give or take. And we grew that business 10 times size within a two to three-year period, which was a great experience for me. I was part of a company that hit a billion dollars in revenue, the fastest ever in history, and had 50-plus offices around the world developing and selling software to help the world move to this new internet mode. I left that company, uh, it's called BEA Systems, and took a, took a break, traveled around the world, and then came back and started an incubation company where we, we help young companies build out their technology team and then ultimately get ready for, for funding down the line. And through that process, we realized that we like building companies rather than investing in them. And a portion of my original co-founders in the first company got back together and formed a company called First Best Systems that was focused on transforming the underwriting process for the insurance space. And we built that company over a decade or so. It now has sort of launched a whole new industry and it's now known as, as InsurerTech. And there's lots of pure play insurance companies coming out of the, out of the ground to reshape the insurance industry. We sold that to another big public company. It's now part of their entire solution stack. And after taking a year off, my mentor invited me to look at this project that he was working on. He had been an investor in all of my companies. He says, we're working on something that's renewable energy and blockchain. And I was honestly not sure whether that was a... (laughs) That was a good fit for me because I'm a software guy, don't know anything about renewables, but blockchain was very intriguing to me. That software, that software technology, I'd like to learn more about it. And so I went to his uh, private equity office and that started a four-year journey to creating what is today known as uh, Saluna and all the great things that we're doing. So that's a 20 plus year journey. I just went through that touches on a host of different things. And one thing I've noticed about myself is I tend to be attracted to new confluence waves of technology change that introduce opportunities to innovate. And uh, I like building companies in sort of that innovation storm, if you will, 
that are groundbreaking and you know really break the mold on old ways. And it's just a passion of mine. So that's a quick tour. Incredible. Thank you for expanding on that. In order to get some more insight into what it looks like to be an entrepreneur, could you walk us through what a typical day looks like for you? No. <laughs> if there is even a typical day. Yeah. But, if the uh, listeners could see my calendar, they'd be shocked by what a typical day looks like for me. It starts really early, ends really late. It's peppered with a combination of meetings where I'm synchronizing with my management team to make sure we're all on the same page. If there are any issues I need to discuss, we're checking in. Then I have meetings, individual meetings with department leads to make sure that I'm available to them to remove any obstacles they might have to getting their jobs done. I will be talking to power partners understanding what their pain points are as it relates to spilled energy and how we can help to reshape that for them using our technology. Very often, I'm involved in marketing activities where we're introducing the company to a host of different uh, constituencies, recording our own podcast, uh, meeting with investors that are investing in our projects, and looking to work with us on a host of new initiatives uh, in our company. Sometimes it'll include content that we're preparing to send to our board of directors. So they're up to speed. And I'll also be putting content or presenting to our company as a whole, keeping them up to date and connected. I run this internal newsletter Mm -hmm. to keep everybody synchronized. Communication is such an important thing as a CEO. And getting everybody on the same page is a constant process and keeping them focused on the culture and growing the company. And then I will be focused on recruiting folks. So I do lots of interviews of of great talent that we want to add to our team because we're in a growth mode right now. And so my calendar will be filled with things like that. And that's a typical day if I'm not traveling. If I'm traveling, then it gets more complicated. I have lots of those things and... (laughs) things that are happening on the ground as well. I talk to our security lawyers, our contract and structuring lawyers as we're putting new projects together as well. So that's sort of a typical day for me. It starts uh, early in the morning after I've gotten the kids ready for school and done some like a few minutes of just journaling and uh, meditation to prepare myself, get the energy in the right place. And then I just jump right into it and it goes goes for a solid full day, usually ending around uh, 6.30 p.m. Eastern kind of thing, getting together with the family for dinner and uh, and then sometimes coming back. But I try to avoid that and shut down for the rest of the evening. Got it. Do you have a morning routine that you engage in in order to prepare yourself for the day? But I guess yeah. you sort of answered that with the meditation and journaling. Right. Yeah, I do have very simple routines that I try to do every day. I'd say I I aspire to do them every day. In terms of categories, one is getting some sort of exercise. Sometimes I'll take a run in the morning or I'll jump on my Peloton bike, which I'm a big fan, big fan of that that product and service, or I'll do some sort of calisthenics. So try to do I try to do at least 30 minutes of some kind of exercise. And then I 
spend uh, the morning having breakfast with the family and then doing my part, getting the kids ready and dropping off at school. Then when I come back before my first meeting, I actually have blocked time to just journal. I have this journaling process. I call it the rose thorn bud. Rose is something I'm happy about, grateful for, something great that happened the last day. Thorn is something hard, challenging that I'm dealing with. And I try to work through those challenges and anxieties in the journal. And bud is something I'm looking forward to that's exciting you know, coming up that I need to prepare for and think through. It's just a good way to kind of get the mind focused and set up for the day. And then somewhere in my schedule later in the day, I try to move away from my screen, leave <laughs> my office and take a walk outside where there's light and fresh air and some distractions. Living in New York City, there's lots of those distractions, fire, fire sirens, et cetera. But you know, those sounds are ways to just get my mind away from the day-to-day and just rest the brain. And then I come back to finish up the day. So just a way to not get drained energy-wise. That's a typical day for me. Amazing. Thank you so much for expanding on that. You mentioned that a decent portion of your job involves recruiting folks, especially mm-hmm. now that you guys are growing. I know a lot of young people listen to these podcasts, especially young people interested in clean energy. And I wanted to ask you if there is any advice you'd give them or any particular skills you personally look out for when hiring young people? Yeah. Curiosity, drive, a penchant for learning, learning lots of complex things very, very quickly, and a mission-driven set of principles, if you will. People who are attracted to companies with a big mission and really want to grow, have a lot of ambition. Those People with that type of DNA tend to work very well here at Saluna. So if there are listeners out there, if there are folks who are looking to dip their toe into the energy business, want to help reshape the way the industry looks at infrastructure, and want to join a company that is really breaking the mold and moving very quickly, we definitely want to talk to you. My advice for young entrepreneurs or young professionals is to really think of your career as a mosaic. Think of a mosaic painting with lots of different colors and tiles pulled together to kind of create this very interesting picture rather than a sequential series of you know, I'm going to start in this role and work my way up a ladder into a single role inside of a single company over, over a 20 to 30 year period. The business world is no longer the latter, it's the former. It's really a series of experiences that you're building that helps you to sort of shape your passion, what you're good at. And you never know what that picture ultimately looks like until you've put all the tiles together. And so, what you want to do is try to get into whatever industry you're interested in. However, you can get into that industry, start to accumulate experience, uh, learn as much as you can, find mentors. And then when you feel like you need a new set of experiences, don't feel like you have to stay with one company, go to another company and keep building more and more experience, uh, acquiring more responsibility, et cetera, such that you can develop your own personal 
mosaic, which ultimately shapes you and your value proposition to the world. That's what I believe careers are about these days. Love that. Of course, there's a lot of risk involved or some sacrifice that usually goes into either launching a new company or leaving a job to start something new and explore. And as someone who has experience taking those leaps and reflecting back on those particular moments in time, is there anything that comes to mind that you would tell yourself now, like if you could talk to your younger self during those moments? Yeah. You're bringing me back to, I'd say the three to four, maybe six months before I, I, I made the jump from Intel. I was on my way to a great career there. I had the fortune of being part of some of the best teams at the company. I was in a graduate rotation program. And so I had lots of different experiences that gave me exposure to all the different opportunities at the company. And then I got to choose the one that I liked the most. And I went back into engineering because I built things. And I was working on some of the new, new and most exciting things at the company. And I had to then decide when my co-founders and I sort of decided, okay, we really want to leave our jobs and go start a, a new business. And I had to decide whether it was worth taking the risk and going out, moving to Boston, <laughs> where I didn't have any, barely any place to live. I had some savings. So I uh, was prepared to sort of do what was needed. But I was, I was really scared about making that move. I was worried that if we failed, I wouldn't have an opportunity to jump back into this, you know, the same sort of job with lots of upward potential. And so I had this lunch with a mentor of mine at the company. His name was Art Spirell, very bright, super successful manager at the company. And he really uh, mentored a lot of the young professionals there. And so I met with him for, for lunch and I explained what was happening and what I was thinking about doing. And he said, John, put your finger in this glass. So there was a glass of water on the table. <laughs> mm-hmm. He told me to put, just stick my finger in the glass. And he says, what do you see? Uh, my, my finger made a, a dimple in the water. You know, the water's <laughs> Great. Now, pull your finger out. And I said, okay. And I pulled my finger out and said, what happened? Uh, the dimple is gone. It filled in. Exactly. We're going to be okay without you, son. You go to Boston <laughs> and do what you got to do. And if you want to, and if you you want to come back, we'll be right here. And that was probably one of the greatest pieces of of advice I've ever gotten. It completely changed my life. Uh, within a week, I had left and went to Boston, and I was the happiest and most energized I ever could be. The picture ahead of me was not completely clear, but I just knew that with this team and what we were doing and the passion that we had, we just couldn't fail. And even if we did, it would have still been a super experience. And we were constantly on the brink of just like imploding or failing (laughs) as we were building the company. And so what I mean to say by sharing that story is that one of our biggest deterrents as potential entrepreneurs is that fear element, right? It can be a powerful deterrent unless you understand the role it's really trying to play in your life. It's actually telling you to focus. The reason you're afraid is you're not 
sure about the future. So focus now in the present about what you can do and what you have control over. And in my case, the only decision I had, I really had control over was whether I was going to leave or not. Right. And if I didn't leave, <laughs> there was no way to know whether the future picture in my head would actually become a reality or not. And it, and it's not a reality until it actually is the present. And so by having that conversation, it just changed my whole perspective that I will be making a series of decisions in my life. And each one of those decisions will lead to success or failure, however I define it. And both of those are success. So even failure is a piece of information that you're going to use that will continue to catapult you forward. And so anytime something happens now in my entrepreneurial experiences and, and it's bad, you know, we all do have, we, we all experience that shock for a second and we feel the tinge or pain in our necks or whatever. What I now say is, this is great. What can we learn from this? What are we going to learn from this? You know, even though it's a bad experience, it's a powerful learning experience that's just going to make us better. So, my advice to entrepreneurs is just keep pushing. Never stop pushing. Take the risk because in that risk taking is where the journey will begin and continue and continue to get better every step of the way. What a story. I also liked your impersonation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Art was a, a was a character, former military general, you know, he'd do crazy things like make people do push-ups for interviews, you know, <laughs> stuff that doesn't people don't go in for anymore, but uh he had his ways, made him extremely successful, but he was very good at giving advice and 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 very good at uh, providing perspective on life. That's awesome. Now moving towards Saluna and the work that the company engages in. From my understanding, the main stakeholders involved in Saluna's business model are one, the data centers, which consume the renewable energy, and two, the renewable energy plants, which generate the excess energy, which then Saluna connects to the data centers. And please correct me if I'm wrong, but can you talk about what value Saluna delivers to these stakeholders and why these stakeholders should come to Saluna in order to receive the services that Saluna provides? So the best way to understand Saluna is to, is to go back to our founding. We originally started as a renewable energy developer. So Saluna was focused on developing wind energy plants in Northern Africa, in Morocco to be exact. We had a very big wind farm we were developing down there. And development is a multi-year process. In the renewable energy parlance, you are preparing to build something and do all the things that are required to do that. That's development. And the interesting thing about the project we were developing or the challenge with that project was that it was a stranded project. We had a site that was twice the size of Manhattan in one of the windiest parts of the world. In fact, it's so windy there, the wind has a name. It's called the Harmattan wind that mm -hmm. travels across Northern Africa, down and across the Saharas at really high speeds. And that makes it incredible for from a, a power generation resource perspective. And so we had a 900 megawatt facility there and nowhere for the electrons to go. And we came up with this idea, well, 
the concept was developed maybe a, a few years before that. And I was then introduced to put the company together. That's when my mentor called. And the concept was, you've got energy. You have a grid that's on its way there, but not there yet. So how do you monetize the energy while the grid makes its way there? The solution was to combine that power plant with a data center that would monetize the power, consume the energy off-grid, essentially. So we focused at the time on crypto mining because you can instantly monetize the, the energy and then ultimately do more computing in that facility as well. To develop that site, you've got to do environmental studies, bird studies, all sorts of engineering activity. So we engineered this data center that could essentially synchronize its consumption to the power that would be developed. And we came up with this concept of essentially embedded energy consumption in a power plant design, if you will. Now, by the time we were ready to build the site, the grid actually did, the grid infrastructure was extended and made its way all the way down to that area in the southern part of the country. And so we started designing a plant and data center that, that, that now would be integrated with the grid. And through that integration, we realized that well, we would be selling power in or through the grid, and now the computing would not be the sole monetizer of the energy. Actually, the computing would be monetizing the excess energy, the spilled energy that we would not be able to sell because the Moroccan market was still growing. We would be able to generate way more power than that particular region could absorb, and the resource was intermittent. So the computing now became a solution for a different problem, and that was spilled energy, curtailed energy, energy that could not make its way onto the grid. In 2020, so this, this was in uh, 2018 when we were pulling this together. And in 2020, we actually obviously had the pandemic, as you know, and we were unable to, to travel to Morocco. And so we started thinking about how do we want to expand the company from here? I mean, the site is ready to build. We have the full design. Do we want to continue building power plants from here as we look at new projects? And it became clear to us that the computing solution could be a very scalable, applicable solution to a broad to the broader industry. And so now we just had to figure out whether the spilled energy problem was a big problem. So we spent six to eight months researching, talking to power plant owners, utilities, scheduling companies investment funds, et cetera, that owned assets. And it became clear to us that not only was this a problem in the industry, it was a huge problem in the industry. About 30 to 40% of the power that gets produced by green plants, most people don't know this, never make it to the grid. And the reason is because you have lots of power plants that are being built in a particular region because the resource is so great. Lots of investment capital coming into the renewable energy transition. That is great as well because it's helping us to fight climate change. But these projects end up being heavily financially distressed because they're not able to monetize all of their energy. So what we do is we bring revenue to those power plants by going directly to the plant. We build a data center. So we are the data center. So in terms of constituencies, the primary constituency is the independent power producer or the grid that has an excess energy problem. And our data center is the solution to that problem. We go and we build a 
purpose-built data center that can live in a less than 24 by 7 environment. So we connect our facility, which is a not just one giant monolithic facility, it's a series of smaller facilities that we connect together into a very large, like Lego blocks again, into a very large facility. And then we absorb that wasted energy and then we convert it into computing. Today in our phase one, what we call the first part of our business strategy is to convert it into a security platform for large uh, digital assets like Bitcoin. So we do crypto mining, which is part of that security framework. It monetizes the power and then we're able to monetize that excess energy for the power plant. In phase two of our business, we're looking for other flexible computing environments where like Bitcoin mining, you can pause the process and then start it again and go back to that to that security computing, AI, machine learning, uh, deciding what movie to show you next on your Netflix video, video transcoding, natural language processing, searching for new drugs and molecules. All of these types of applications are not real-time applications, so we won't stream movies from our data centers, but they're batchable applications, meaning they're flexible in nature. That flexible form of computing, we believe, is a very powerful tool for transforming the design of the modern grid by retroactively adding load that follows the generation, so intermittent green generation. We follow that generation with flexible load, and that flexible load is able to absorb excess energy, giving the grid the ability to absorb more green energy. And that, we believe, is the fundamental mission of our company, and that is to make renewable energy a superpower by essentially allowing the grid on a global basis to absorb more green and intermittent resources, wind, solar, hydro, geothermal, any form of sustainable renewable energy that is being integrated into the grid that makes it very difficult for the grid to dispatch. By adding our data centers now, that absorption can happen a lot faster in a much more scalable way. And so we broke the company into two companies. We took Karmatan Energy, which is the Morocco project, and that's a standalone business now. I'm speaking to you from Saluna Computing, which is part of Saluna Holdings, a US-based public company. And we focus all of our energy on building these types of projects in the US and beyond. So that's what Saluna does. We're helping to increase the amount of renewable energy in the world. Super interesting. I'm trying to understand how Saluna actually builds the data centers and determines what application will be aligned with the data center. So the applications have to be applications that are resilient to losing power in the data center. So if you're running an e-commerce platform, your big corporate website, your ERP system, those should live in more base load facilities that can be on 24-7. But if you're uh, converting raw video into a compressed form so that you can stream that over a new streaming service, you can use our facility to do that translation. It's a very compute-intensive process. It happens in a job form, it starts and finishes in a, in a fixed window. But if the data center started the job and lost energy or had to shut down for market pricing reasons, we can take your job and move it to another one of our facilities and continue the process. Or the job can just wait till the data center is comes back 
alive or comes comes back on and then starts performing the job again. And all of our facilities are designed to be up about 85% of the time at minimum. Most of them are in the high 90s, but we're not a five nines facility with lots of redundancy and resiliency systems built into them because the facility has to be on persistently. We actually focus on applications that don't require that. For example, crypto mining is a a very compute intensive process. But if you stop that process at your facility, lots of other computers around the world are are continuing to provide that, that security, but you can wake back up and continue to participate in that process. So anything that is flexible, batchable, we like to say, is the perfect application. And then we have a Saluna data center design. So we've designed a facility. It's essentially our product and we construct it from scratch. So if if you have a wind farm or a solar energy facility, literally we drive up with our little truck and say, we, you know, we, need, we need this site over here. And then we build a 50 megawatt, 100 megawatt, sometimes bigger facility that is sitting there next to the, the, the power plant. And when the power plant has excess energy, we absorb that. And what do you feel are the main opportunities and challenges moving forward? Well, the main opportunities are that this, this industry is, is very big. The energy industry is a huge industry, but very small community, I have found. But it's huge in the sense that the energy needs of the world are growing we have consistently relied on fossil fuels as the primary energy source. Data centers have actually, to some extent, I'm talking about traditional data centers, to some extent have subsidized the continuation of that, right? The continued reliance on those fossil fuels because of their baseload needs. And the opportunity is to flip that switch to say, if I'm going to go to a 70%, 80% mixture where it's mostly green energy, and it's mostly green intermittent resources, how am I going to deal with this problem where you have windows where there's not enough energy being produced or there's too much energy being produced? Well, there are existing solutions to that problem. People always ask me, John, well, can't can't you just store this energy? Yes, you can. Batteries are a great solution to that, but they're not scalable yet. And their price point still creates a challenge for building big enough batteries to deal with the potential excess that happens. Well, can't you just move the energy, John? Yes, you can across transmission lines to other places that might need the power, but those lines can take years, sometimes decades to build because of all the regulatory and social dynamic challenges in building lines across multiple states and regions. Computing, though, is ready now. It's scalable now because of the Moore's Law experience and its purported flattening, if you will, computing technology is getting cheaper and cheaper. And so you can build facilities all around the world integrated with these resources to give the grid the flexibility uh, that it needs. And so that's the opportunity. Uh, I think the challenges that we run into with our business is education teaching people about the fact that batteries and transmission aren't the only solution. We need to be innovative if we're going to reach our climate goals 
one of those innovations is to take existing technologies and apply them to a different problem, which is what we're, we're doing here. So education is a challenge. The second is capital. These projects are very capital-intensive activities, and we want to scale that over time. So getting access to lower-cost innovation or sustainability-focused capital is going to be important. And so we've been very vocal around rethinking some of the Build Back Better or infrastructure bills that have come out around helping to drive renewables and not limiting ourselves to just batteries and transmission as the only sort of acceptable solutions. There are lots of other solutions that can play in that. And we think that will help to drive that growth. Infrastructure companies that traditionally invest in power plant projects can also invest in combined solutions where you build a power plant and the computing, we think. And so that's where we think those how those challenges will be addressed and why I go out and tell our story and and and, and speak to folks in the industry and podcasts like this. So folks can sort of rethink the way they see the availability of the different types of solutions to help get us to a greener world. Those are the opportunities uh, and challenges. Thank you so much, Mr. Belazer, for taking the time and for sharing about your journey and the incredible work Saluna is engaging in. Do you have any final words or any last thoughts that you would like to share? This for me is probably, you know, we were talking about entrepreneurship. This company is probably one of the most exciting things that I've worked on. It's not just because, you know, I, I love building companies and I love creating a culture. It's just that the mission is global in nature. The potential value that this business could create and how it could affect the world is so transformational that it just gets me up in the morning and and running to my to my Zoom link to, <laughs> to push things forward and make uh-huh. it happen. I've never felt so energized before and I've had lots of great experiences in my life. And so I think we're at an, an amazing juncture. The renewable energy, um, the whole new crypto assets and decentralized finance space, Web 3.0 and AI and machine learning and all of these sort of data-centric applications. There's just an, an incredible macro trends that are taking place. And our company is right in the middle of that. And so if there are folks who are energized by what they've heard here, they should definitely reach out to us. And, and if there are investors that want to be part of these mega trends and help make them happen, they should definitely reach out to us because I think we're onto something great here and we need all the resources that we can get to make our vision a reality. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Check out the episode description or show notes for more information on our guest. See you next time.